Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son talk about fantasy and sci-fi and other weird sorts of stuff that all of us love to geek out about. Today, it's just Jim again. Uh, Zach is on assignment doing his own life. But more specifically, we're here to talk about Dresden Files today, and he has not read these yet. One day, that will not be true. But as I keep working through these books, he hasn't even read the first one yet. So, distant future. For now, it's just me here to share with you another review of one of these fantastic and very enjoyable books. Today, we're talking about Cold Story, Dresden Files, book 14. As always, I'm drinking something for this episode, but this is another morning one for me. It's just 10 a.m., so it's just coffee. Not even anything fun inside it, unless you consider uh, caramel macchiato creamer as fun, which I do. I mean, that's what I have when I make it at home all the time. And if I don't have any of that, it's sad. During the pandemic, I found out that's like everybody's favorite flavor. You couldn't find it in the stores. So when it would show up, I'd buy like four of them. They don't go bad. They just sit in your fridge for weeks and they're still okay as long as you haven't opened them. And I've not lost that habit. So we always have like four creamers sitting in our fridge and just work our way through them. We actually go through them surprisingly quickly. Apparently, I like the coffee cream heavy. So that's what I'm drinking today. If you're drinking something as you enjoy the episode, good on you. Have some fun, but drink responsibly unless it's coffee. Well, no, I guess you can drink too much coffee and get all jittery. Don't do that either. As to our book today in this discussion... Reminder on how I handle spoilers here. Don't listen to this. Don't watch this if you haven't read book 14 yet. Cold Days. <laughs> I realized a moment ago I called it Cold Story. What am I doing? No, that, uh, no, Cold Days. If you haven't read Cold Days, you don't want to be here for this. Go read it first. Come on back and then you'll enjoy it, because I want to ruin the book for you. You should be enjoying this episode after you've read the book, see what you agree with, see what you think I missed or misinterpreted, and respond. Speaking of that, we love to have people respond to our episodes and interact with us. You can always post on YouTube or wherever you listen to audio content. Just give some responses, some feedback. Heck, give us a review or a like and share the episode with others. But you can also interact with us in some more enhanced ways, like our Discord server. We've got a lot of people with us now in our Discord channel talking about all sorts of things, Dresden Files, Wheel of Time, The Expanse, Stranger Things, their dogs and cats. Anything people want to talk about, eh, there's a place for it on our server. So we welcome you to use the link that you'll find in the show notes and come join us on Discord. We've also got an active Twitter presence. Right now, we're starting off our September 2022 Tri-Reader Twitter Tournament. Wow, that's almost a tongue twister. Uh, we're focusing on the best three horror reads of all time in your subjective preference. By the time you're listening to this, I think we'll still be in the midst of the tournament, but it might be done already. Regardless, you can go take a look in our Twitter feed and see how it went. And if it's still happening, you can vote too. We do these every other month, bouncing back and forth with Fantology Podcast, who also does Twitter tournaments. Just a fun way, again, to interact with people who also enjoy all sorts of literature like this. That's what Twitter is for for us, so follow us on Twitter and interact with our tweets there. Uh, okay, let's get into the story. Cold Days. My initial thoughts on this book. It really brings together a whole bunch of plot threads that have been laid out through the previous 13 books, and then brings things to a head, all of these different points, in a pretty epic conclusion in this book that's going to have some massive ramifications moving forward. And also identifies for us there are some serious reveals still to come. So we're not slowing down in this series. It's going bigger and bigger and bigger, which is a pretty fun ride to follow with. I value in this book in particular that we see Harry Dresden restored to full strength after his shadowy presence in Ghost Story. And yet, really, as the Winter Knight, we're meeting Harry 2.0. 
he's next level. This was a serious power up for his character. And throughout this book, he's learning how to deal with that. What are the abilities? What are the limitations of being the Winter Knight, having the Winter Mantle upon him? It's not just a superpower. There are things he needs to understand about it, and he deals with that through this book. Now, that's about all I'm going to say about it through this book, because I'm going to hit just 14 key events, plot points, because this is book 14. I started that a couple books ago, kind of picking how many things I'm going to talk about, which means I leave some things out. So I'm not going to say much about that experience of him uh, learning to use the winter mantle, but it is a key theme woven throughout the book. And some of it is rather entertaining. I de definitely enjoyed that. But what am I going to hit on? The 14 key events and revelations of cold days. Well, number one, we start out with a very interesting rehabilitation period for Harry. Okay, we left off in the previous story that he basically had been on life support thanks to a team up of Queen Mab, the winter queen of the winter court, and his genius loci of demon reach. Kind of this, I always picture this big like ent type creature. And the two of them had worked together deep in the bowels of the Demon Reach Island to keep him alive while his, his spirit, his essence, was out there roaming, doing what it had been allowed to do by the uh, angel because he had been uh, tricked. And somebody cheated, and that's how he was shot back in changes in the first place. So while all that's going on, they kept his body alive. I don't know that they knew where his spirit was, just Mab had confidence, hope, belief, it would come back to his body. So she's making sure the body is still ready to receive it. Well, just because he's back in his body at the end of that book doesn't mean he's good, you know, good to go, right as rain. No, he's been comatose for months. He's a shell of a person. So we start this out with seeing Harry now in back in the, the power of the Fae. He's in the Never Never, in a stronghold of the Winter Court. And he's being nursed back to health. Nursed, allowed to recover, and then basically PT. Some very unique physical therapy that goes on here. So there's two different aspects that we see highly on display. One is uh, a character we're introduced to, Sarissa who seems to be a human who's here working in the Winter Court. We don't know much about her other than she's here and has this the ability kind of as a nurse to actually provide for Harry's basic needs, to help him regain his strength, to provide basic medical care. But the other one who takes an active role in his physical therapy is Queen Mab herself, because every day she comes in at some point and tries to kill Harry. Of course. I mean, <laughs> that seems like a logical physical therapy approach. Okay, what's going on here is Harry is her winter knight. And she needs him strong. Strong enough to defend himself. Strong enough to fight off an attack. To take on whatever comes at him. So... In 77 straight days of physical therapy, she tries to kill him a different way each time, slowly amping up the violence, the, the power of the attack. She's not really trying to kill him. She's pushing him. She's testing him. She's stretching him so that he can grow to his fullest potential. Some of those attacks are amazing. It's twisted. But you know what? It works. By the end of the experience, Harry is healthy again and stronger than ever with the power of the winter mantle flowing through him. Also tied to this, he has an orderly that's assigned to him, Cat Sith. Now, Cat Sith is going to continue with Harry through the book uh, in numerous interactions. He's assigned by Mab to assist the Winter Knight. Not necessarily happy about it, and left to his own choices, he'd easily happily kill the Winter Knight because he's a creature of winter, of the Winter Fae. He has his own motivations. He's not a good guy, but he does follow orders. Turns out Cat Sith is a famous creature, not just a, a cat 
Sith. No, the cat Sith. Apparently that's a thing. And he's a mock. We've seen these cat creatures of fairy before. Different mocks. This is the progenitor of the mocks. The granddaddy of them all. He's huge. He's like a 90 pound creature as a cat. He can talk. He has magical abilities. And he's here to help Harry. So that's one. Number two. As Harry has completed his physical therapy, his timing is right on point because they decide to throw a birthday party for him. Now, my recollection from a previous book is we knew the day of Harry's birthday. Do you remember it? You may have been reminded here because this birthday party is not on his actual birthday. It's almost his birthday, but close enough because he's recovered and let's celebrate and celebrate his birthday. Harry's birthday is Halloween, and this is just a couple days before Halloween. They're going to have a party. We find out birthday parties, big celebration bashes like this in the winter court are not the way we normally would recognize them. I mean, you invite a lot of, a lot of guests. So yes, Harry has lots of guests here. Uh, he even has a date. Sarissa, his nurse, is now his date to the party. He gets dressed up in a tux that's provided for him, and Sarissa escorts him out to the party, where he sees all these dignitaries from all over the supernatural realms here to help celebrate. A few key ones that we recognize from interactions in other books are uh, Kringle, good old Chris Kringle, you know, Santa Claus, which we've seen once before, and you might remember is just another iteration of Odin the Norse god, who also we've met as uh, Vodal Damarung. Danarung? Danarung. Uh, Damarung, Danarung. I never can remember if it's N's or M's. I think it's N's. So there's one entity that has been helpful to Harry in the past, but is not tame. You know, he, he's a creature, a wild creature of his own. So he's here. Uh, the Earl King, we've run into him before, most specifically back in the book Deadbeat. The Earl King is the head of the Wild Hunt. We've had a couple different interactions with the Earl King before. But here, we've got him just as a guest. Because <laughs> again, he's also a creature of Fae, and definitely more the winter style. Another one that was great to see is Eldest Gruff. Remember when Harry had his interactions with the Billy Goats Gruff? And Eldest Gruff is the one that goes and gets him a donut? <laughs> that was delightful. Uh, so we've got all these different creatures, things that are here, but there are others that we recognize too. And one in particular that comes right up to Harry now and makes a play, uh, making a statement is Maeve. Now Maeve is the winter lady. Remember, there are three uh, figures of royalty in the winter court. You've got the queen, then you've got the winter mother who's basically the queen who was she's retired and she's not at the party you don't see the, the winter mother much but the queen is of course ruling she's in charge and then there's like the princess the the future queen and that's the winter lady Maeve is the winter lady and Maeve we've seen in multiple books she is not a nice lady she's selfish and naughty she will screw with you. We know these things about Maeve. Well, she makes a splash here at the party because she's gotten all dressed up for it in her own unique way because it's a birthday. So she decides to show up in her birthday suit. Yeah, <laughs> she's naked and she's the winter lady. She's gorgeous. Now, Harry does notice that she isn't completely naked. She's got little gems, little stones, sparkly stones in some various places around her body to, you know, draw attention to certain elements. And oh my goodness, I laughed so hard because Harry notes as he follows the gems down that there's one particular part of her body that has more than any other. It's clearly screaming for attention. And the book literally says she's vajazzled. <laughs> what a phrase. How the heck he thought of that. But as soon as you read that word, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. All right. Anyways, she comes up to Harry. Hey, birthday boy. And basically says, huh, you wanna? You know, she's saying, I 
the winter lady would love to have you the winter night. You know, you're my winter night as well as Queen Mab's winter night. And why don't we celebrate your birthday in some fun ways, big boy? Harry feels the influence, the power of the winter lady pouring over him and through him. But he knows Maeve. He knows she's messed up, screwed up, and he manages to fight it off to pass on this influence, even though it's pretty obvious physically he is clearly uh, impacted by the Winter Lady's charms. He tactfully declines to take up her offer. It's like he just slapped Maeve in the face, and she moves on. Sarissa's like, uh, nobody does that. He's like, what? You turned Maeve down. Nobody turns Maeve down. You're gonna pay for that. <laughs> well, he starts to pay for that pretty quick, because still in this moment, then, um, some of Maeve's flunkies come out and make a bit of a to-do. See, there's a, a rule in the birthday party. There's a few special rules here with Queen Mab that a, nobody speaks to Queen Mab, okay? B, nobody sheds blood. Don't break my rules, okay? Well, at this point, some of Maeve's flunkies come out and start giving Harry a hard time. One in particular, Red Cap, and it's a guy wearing a red cap. We come to find out later it's red because it's soaked in the blood of his victims. Ugh. Red Cap takes Sarissa and dances with her and then threatens her, and then basically is strangling her. What you gonna do about it, Harry? Harry's like, you need to stop that. And literally, he's saying, you can't stop me. The rule is, you can't shed blood. I'm not gonna shed blood. I'm just gonna squeeze until her neck cracks. It, there will be nothing, no blood. Nothing can stop me. So Harry does try to stop him. And we have a battle that takes place then. One that is very intentionally not shedding blood. For instance, one of the first moves he does is he uses the power of the winter night to smash in Redcap's knee. It bends the wrong direction. That's a painful thing I've heard. And that's what everyone hears because Redcap lets out a yell. Now, the other two that he has with him, he's got a raw head, which is a nasty kind of fairy, and a snow ogre, big strong thing. And so there's some fighting, there's some punching, there's some grasping and throwing and, and such. And Harry is doing what he can to try to fight, to try to defend, and try to protect Sarissa. In the midst of the battle, the snow ogre ends up taking a swing at Sarissa. And she manages to duck most of it, but gets clipped in the face just enough that she gets a bloody lip. And everything stops. Rule was just broken. The only one that doesn't stop is a snow ogre, who's pretty stupid. And he just then turns and is going at Sarissa where she got flung away. He's going to try to finish her off. And Mab basically says, uh, Harry, kill. She orders her winter knight to carry out justice. And he's able now to bring the full power of his winter mantle to bear with his magic. So he uses one of his spells to freeze the snow ogre in place and then another of his spells to completely blow up this frozen statue. And there is no more Snow Ogre. And everyone in the room just saw, okay, you saw some fighting going on. Yeah, Harry was holding back. That's the power of the Winter Knight. Welcome to the Winter Court, Harry Dresden. So that's all point two. Harry's power has been confirmed. Do not screw with me. And at the same time, everybody's going, mm, we're not sure we like this Harry Dresden. Hmm. But that's how the winter court is. They all kind of look at each other and will do whatever they can to get advantage for themselves. It's a very selfish and self-centered power-seeking group of fairies. Point three. As this all wraps up, Harry gets his first assignment from Queen Mab. Kill Maeve. Yeah, yeah, the winter lady. Kill her. Why? She's not going to give a reason necessarily. Doesn't have to. Maeve needs to be killed. She's out of control killer. Now, you don't just kill the Winter Lady. She's an immortal. How do you kill an immortal? Well, he's gonna have to figure that out. It is possible. You may remember that in a previous book, uh, Summer Night, 
Harry killed the Summer Lady, Aurora. But it was done at a special time in a special way. It's not something you can just do anytime. So we know it can be done, but we know it won't be easy. And Harry's going to have to figure it out. But that's point three. Primary mission of the book. He's now got to kill Maeve. But tied to that, he has to figure out, should he kill Maeve? Why would Mab, the Winter Queen, give him an order to kill the Winter Lady? Is this an order that should be disobeyed? Is there something wrong with Mab? It doesn't make sense going to have to put his detective skills to use here as well. Point four, Mab arranges a head start for Harry. Upon her orders, everybody is locked down at the end of this birthday party. She's upset that the rules are broken. No one's going anywhere until dawn. You are all locked in place. Nothing gets in or out. Except she allowed for a special back door through the never-never into Chicago for Harry out of the closet in his bedroom. Uh, Cat Sith is the one that reveals that to him. Basically says, yeah, Queen Mab is giving you a head start. Because everyone else is locked up here. No one's going to try to interfere with you. Maeve's people aren't going to be around trying to fight some more. You know, the red cap is kind of ticked off at how you handed him his head. Uh, nope, you don't have to worry about anything until tomorrow. So we learn here that apparently the Fae follow rules, but there are ways to cheat. <laughs> there are ways around the rules, especially if you're the one making the rules. Okay, point five. Harry is on a mission now. He's back in Chicago, but he's hesitant to get his friends involved. First of all, he hasn't been back to see anybody because he's been recuperating. Since he basically came back from the dead, he has not seen anyone. Thomas, Molly... Karen, Murphy, nobody, Butters, you know, they don't really know what happened to him. They knew he was a ghost, and then he was gone. More time has passed. They don't know. So he'd love to go back and say, guys, I'm back. And at the same time, he's like, I don't want to mess up their lives. I'm the winter night now. I don't need them to get involved in stuff. <sighs> We know it's a true trait of Harry that he thinks of his friends before himself. So truly, he's trying not to hurt them by maybe kind of staying out of their way still. He's got to deal with this issue now. And if at all possible, he doesn't want to involve and drag them into the trouble. But he does need one of his friends. Specifically on his mind is he needs Bob. You know, the spirit of intellect that lives in the skull. If you remember from our last book, Waldo Butters is the one who is in possession of Bob. So Harry goes to Butters' place, basically breaks in, and steals Bob. One could say, why didn't he just find Butters and say, hey, I need to borrow Bob. But again, doesn't want to get them involved. Doesn't want to have to explain. You know, he only has two days it's going to turn out here. But he is sensing he only has like a few hours because he's got this head start right now. But when he does steal back Bob and he talks, how do I kill an immortal? How does this work? He learns that, well, there are certain times in the year where there's a convergence and immortal creatures of fairy are more vulnerable, somewhat mortal. One of those is Halloween, which again, two days from now, Harry's birthday. And in fact, because of that, they hide. You don't see the Fae in the regular world on Halloween because that's a more vulnerable time for them. They're smart enough to stay out of the way for that day. So that's his target. That's the day he's got to have whatever he's going to do ready to take out Queen or the Winter Lady, Maeve, or to deal with Queen Mab, if that's what he decides it has to be done. He has to figure out what's going on and make his move within that time. Well, despite his efforts, Harry is going to end up reconnecting with many of his friends. And it becomes essential that he does. Some of it happens in the midst of him just trying to do things on his own and failing. Because the next day does arrive and creatures of the Winter Court are out there after him now. Uh, it seems the Winter Lady, you know, he rejected her. He offended her. Uh, she didn't take it well. So Red Cap and his crew are on the job trying to get Harry. In the midst of these various interchanges with the bad guys, he 
ends up reconnecting with Thomas, his brother, the vampire of the White Court. Toot Toot and the Zalord's Guard, all these fairies, these little pixies uh, that have been helping Harry in the past. They reconnect with him. Molly, his apprentice, is another one he re does reconnect with and finds out a little bit of what's been up in their lives since he's been gone. It's not a smooth uh, reconnection necessarily because everybody has trust issues. First of all, it's been like a year since he was shot. Uh, six months since, if my timeline is right in my head here, six months since he disappeared from being a shade. They've continued to live their lives. They've continued to fight against the FOMOR and do what they can to survive. And, and there's been no Harry. And now suddenly he's back and he's fine. And he's the Winter Knight. They don't know this Harry. They don't know if they can trust this Harry. They don't know if he's really Harry Dresden like they remember. He could be corrupted. He could be evil. That was certainly a fear he had about ever accepting the mantle of the Winter Knight. So it will be a process they will be working through to determine, can they really trust him? Bob doesn't seem to have much trouble. And so he does learn what he needs from Bob. But it turns out to bite him in the butt that he stole Bob instead of just talking to Butters. There's some resentment there. You know, Bob, uh, Butters and, and Andy, by the way, the werewolf, the alpha Andy, who had formerly... Uh, been attacked by the Nagloshi and ended up in the hospital and her boyfriend was killed. Well, in the interim over the last few years, Andy and Butters hit it off and they're a thing now. Butters has scored, man, because he's just this nerdy corner. And now he's living with Andy and she is hot. So Harry's like, well, that's something. <laughs> Good for Butters! <laughs> but it's really good for both of them. They make a cute couple. Uh, but they don't take it very well that he broke in to steal Bob. And maybe that's the influence of this winter mantle thing. Maybe there is some darkness in Harry now. Again, a process, trying to work through this. But nevertheless, he does start building back these connections with his friends. And it's good because he's going to need it. Point six. Through interacting with people, especially with Molly, he learns there's something going on with Demon Reach. His island, his genius loci out there, it's become a ticking time bomb. There's something going on where magical pressure is growing out there and he's going to have to address it. So we learn a few things as he's trying to figure out, say what? What's happening? First of all, this place out there, this island isn't just a natural occurrence. It was built, specifically built as a prison. Who was it built by? The original Merlin. Way back, Camelot, you know, famous times. The one who founded the White Council of Wizards. That Merlin built Demon Reach to specifically magically house uber-powerful supernatural entities. Now, remember, we know this is where, uh, you know, they had fought off a Nagloshi and the island didn't like the Nagloshi. Well, Harry gets to go down into the island and see, truly, it's a prison. And he finds multiple Nagloshi housed there. They are trapped there. And his genius loci, the big end creature again, you know, shows him the grand tour. Okay. Okay. The Nagloshi are barely worthy of being in Demon Rage. There are way more powerful creatures stored down here. He's like, the Nagloshi, one Nagloshi was too much for Harry to handle. The prison has multiple, and they're the, the least of the powerful entities it contains. Oh, and he learns he's the warden now. Yeah, his connection, his choice to bond the genius loci passed on responsibility for this supernatural prison to Harry. He's basically inherited this now from Merlin. You know, this is the second time we've had a connection laid out for us between the original Merlin and Harry Dresden. Uh, back in Turncoat, we learned from Ebenezer, he had a bunch of journals that have been passed from apprentice, from master to apprentice. And he had a whole bunch of them. And he says to Harry, and one day these will all pass to you because he taught Harry. He considers Harry his apprentice. 
although he's, you know, his own right as a wizard now. But one day, these will pass to you. Well, Harry looked at those books, and the oldest one was the Merlins. So Ebenezer McCoy, Harry's grandfather, has has inherited all of these. He's in that line of master to apprentice, going all the way back to Merlin. So Harry is in that line of descent of training from master to apprentice. And now he's the warden of the Merlin's prison. Holy cow. So you gotta wonder, is this building towards something? That might be something we gotta pay attention to. Will there be even more connections between Harry Dresden and the original Merlin? Um, He learns that something is attacking Demon Reach. There's some supernatural pressures coming at it that they have to identify and stop because it's basically trying to break the prison. And if that happens, if it breaks, it will go boom. It won't just break and not work anymore and everybody gets out. No, it will go boom. <laughs> A magical explosion that will take out most of the Midwest. That's what Harry learns. This is not good. So, yes, I got to kill Maeve, the Winter Lady. But I also have to stop this thing at Demon Reach that's, like, approaching critical. It's almost at meltdown. <sighs> When it rains, it pours. And that's how it always pours in these Harry Dresden books. So Harry gets busy. Point seven. He's going to do some research. What's going on with Demon Reach? Who's doing it? How do I stop it? And he talks to a number of these powerful supernatural entities that he has met and connected with over the vast various books. So first, uh, Donald Vatarung, he's going to get connected with. And again, that's Odin. Kringle, whatever. He meets him uh, at Max Bar, you know, uh, McAnally's, the safe spot for people, neutral ground due to the Uncelia Accords. So they have a, they have an ale together <laughs> and they talk about this. And Vaterung shares that, yeah, this thing will go boom, Demon Rage, because that's how it was built. Merlin, when he created it, built in a final failsafe called Banefire. If the prison fails to prevent any of these unmentionably powerful entities getting away, it will just go up as a magical, massive explosion that will wipe out all it contained. And collateral damage, again, it will take out most of the Midwest. That's true. So yeah, you're going to want to try to stop that. Uh, he goes and talks with the winter and summer ladies. He finds them together, Lily and Maeve. And from them, he learns that they don't have all the answers for him, but they point to something called the contagion. There is a force out here that's manipulating and changing things and, and pushing people in certain directions. And, and it's that contagion that's attacking or seeing that Demon Reach is attacked because it would love to see such an explosion, would love chaos to reign. The contagion, they share, is being spread by the outsiders. Now, we've heard about the outsiders a few times before, like he who walks behind, who tried to kill Harry way back when he had just gotten away from Justin de Mornay, his original mentor. They claim not only that this contagion of the outsiders is behind the Demon Reach attack, it's also been behind a number of the things Harry has dealt with over the course of this series. Even as far far back as book two, Full Moon, where those uh, the FBI agents that had special belts that they could put on to turn into werewolves, that that's how they got them. It was this contagion working through different supernatural entities causing such chaos. A number of the things that Harry had been putting together and attributing to what he called a Black Council working behind the scenes, they're saying, yeah, that's the contagion. That's the work of the outsiders. And then they go one step more, and they say Queen Mab has been infected by this contagion. She's being manipulated by the outsiders. She needs to be stopped because her plans would see this chaos completely unleashed on Halloween. That's what she's aiming towards. Harry, we need your help to stop her. One of the things Harry, remember, was worried about. He's been given orders to kill Maeve. Is Queen Mab in her right mind? 
Maeve and Lily are saying Queen Mab is not in her right mind. Hmm. Puzzle. Now, Harry knows something about the Fae. Uh, when they point blank say something to you, they're like an Aes Sedai in the Wheel of Time. They can't lie. What they say has to be the truth. However, he also realizes something here in this conversation with them that is also like Aes Sedai in the Wheel of Time. They can tell you things that are not true if they believe it to be true. So they said Queen Mab is under the influence of this contagion. That doesn't mean she is. That means they believe she is. Where's the proof? They don't have any proof. They have things they put forward as evidence. So it doesn't totally help Harry. All he knows is Maeve and Lily think Queen Mab is a danger now and has to be stopped. That doesn't mean she is. Okay, who else? Who can he talk to? He's got to find out, is Queen Mab actually corrupted? He decides the best person to talk to for that would be... Oh, one moment. Discord just jumped in. Hi, Emmeline. <laughs> She's not actually uh, able to join us here today because she hasn't caught up here. If you've been listening through the series so far, you know my first few reviews, I had Emmeline with me. She was trying to, to keep pace with us. Yeah, I had already read all of these books, so I've done these faster than she can read with all the other things going on. I'm just letting her know they will be here for her and she catches up. How to take care of the fans. All right. Uh, that is a reminder, though. If you would like to join me during these live recordings, we love that. And so we offer that to all of our Patreon supporters. Emmeline is one of our Patreon uh, our patrons. And so if you've been listening to all of our episodes, you know, multiple times we have people join us for them, sometimes one, sometimes a few people who are in, and sometimes nobody can make it for these recordings. But we'd welcome you. So for as little as a dollar a month on Patreon, support us and you get to be in on these live recordings on our Discord server. So we would be honored to have your support and have you be part of our Fantasy for the Ages family. Now, back to what I was saying, who can help him know if Queen Mab truly is corrupt or not? He figures the best person to talk to might be Queen Titania. Queen Mab is the queen of the Winter Court. Titania is queen of the Summer Court. Mab's equal between the two balanced courts. So he's got to get, a t get in touch with Titania. Now, he's Winter. He can't just go walking into the summer court. Uh, they don't like each other. Winter and summer don't play well. So what he decides to do is go to a place. He figures he could do a summoning. And he's going to try to summon Queen Titania. Now you can summon, summon a fairy by speaking their name three times in a certain ritualistic way. So he's going to do that. And that commands them to come goes down to the shore of Lake Michigan in a remote area where nobody else is around, and he does this. What could go wrong? Winter night, summoning the Queen of Summer. A lot. <laughs> she shows up. It's not easy to summon her. He feels some resistance, but then she arrives. She asks him a few questions. Doesn't just answer her question, because he's like, is Queen Mab taken by the contagion? Is she mad? After asking him a few questions that kind of makes the point that she's not happy with him, she goes all off. She beats him down a bit. She's mad. Why? He killed her daughter, okay? Aurora, back in Summer Night, the, win the summer lady. Harry, literally by himself, killed her. Now, she needed to die. Doesn't change the fact he killed her daughter. Is she supposed to feel all rosy and happy about Harry for killing her daughter, even though she needed to die? No. So she's very mad. She's also like, how dare you summon me? Harry manage, manages to, I mean, he's got to use some of his power to, to stay alive. <laughs> he manages to divert her anger, though, away enough to listen and hear about the danger at Demon Reach and that he needs her help if he's going to discover and discern, is Queen Mab the one who's then under the contagion doing that to Demon Reach and potentially unleashing such chaos on the world? And Okay, fine. She gives one nugget to him. She can't, give, can't or won't give him the answer about Queen Mab. But 
she does reveal that this contagion, okay, what you're really dealing with is something called nemesis. Dun, 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 what a name. This thing you think of as contagion is an active force of the outsiders called nemesis. And don't just throw that name around because they'll hear you. Okay, all right, she's gone. Don't summon me again. But he's got a little more information, but not enough. So he makes his next play. He goes to where he can connect with the mothers, Mother Summer, Mother Winter, and talk to them. It never goes real well talking to Mother Winter, but Mother Summer helps him out a bit. And she takes him to where he can learn some things she says you really need to know. She takes him to the Outer Gates. Now, this is a place in the Never Never or on the fringe of the Never Never where literally there are gates. There's a barrier keeping the outsiders, get this, outside. Duh, there's the name. The outsiders belong outside. Long ago, there was a struggle. The outsiders were forced outside. And it turns out the forces of the winter court, their primary job is to keep the outsiders outside. They, they are constantly in battle with the outsiders. They go out the gates and they try to push them back further. They fight to keep them out because if left alone, they'll just keep pounding at the gates until they break them down and are back in to where chaos will reign. It turns out there are far more winter fae than summer fae because the winter fae is constantly battling, constantly dying. They need the strength to fight the outsiders. The summer fae is a balancing force for the winter fae, but because the winter fae's the vast bulk of their power is in battle with the outsiders, you don't need much of Summer Fae around. Just enough to balance what's left. Interesting. So out here at the gates, he learns about this need for balance. He learns about Winter being tasked with doing most of the fighting. He also learns that the wizard Rashid, who's been known as the gatekeeper, literally is here. He's involved with the outer gates. His job is to help. Keep those gates closed, but also when they do open them up to let the forces of winter who have gone out to battle to come back in, Rashid inspects them all. He is tasked to make sure the force, the contagion of Nemesis, hasn't infected any that come back. Because it tries. And he will discern it, and he will expunge it if it is found. So that's why you don't see Rashid a lot. The gatekeeper is out at the gates. He's doing his job. That's what he's tasked to do. Uh, he and Rashid have some conversation here. And much more, you know, has been revealed now about the gatekeeper. But also amongst that is we learn he knows a lot more than Harry realized. So they kind of bond as they talk about the various struggles that they both are involved in. Uh, he knows about Ebenezer, for example, that Ebenezer is Harry's grandfather. He knows that Harry is starborn, meaning he has some special, a special role to play in this struggle against the outsiders that Harry will learn more about, will need to learn more about, will learn more about. But he says, you, Harry, are destined to be at the tip of the spear, this battle against the outsiders because of being starborn. We get the, get the point here, though, as they talk that these two could be friends. They they actually understand each other in some interesting ways. It's kind of a nice moment to find another real ally amongst the wizards and the, the senior council of wizards for Harry. We sensed Rashid was on his side, but we get a real feel now. No, no, he is. He gets Harry. Not only does he get Harry, he's not surprised that Harry's back. And he's like, you know, you're dead, according to the wizarding council, so... I'll help. There's a whole bunch of paperwork that has to be filled out now to reinstate you as a wizard of the White Council. Uh, I'll smooth the, smooth the path for you. I got you, Harry. <laughs> it was kind of fun. All right, this moves us to number eight. After he's back from all this and he gets back to Chicago, he's trying to figure out what to do with all this information. He's attacked again by Red Cap and his goons. And in this fight that he's doing, it's not just him. He's got Thomas with him during this battle. Karen Murphy shows up. Murphy comes to the rescue, in a sense. 
And thanks to Murphy, their bacon is saved. And she agrees to help Harry. She's, you know, she's missed Harry. She's also a little suspect of Harry. You know, a winter night? Hmm, she kind of realizes you're working for the bad guys now. All right. Along those lines, she's like, I'm here for you, Harry. I, I will do, I will help as I can. But I'm telling you one thing. Those swords of the cross, I have those. And I'm not giving them back just because you're back. I, I'm not telling you where they are. I think that's for the best. And Harry's a little bit hurt by that. But it balances out with the fact that she's saying to him, I can't totally trust you because I don't know how much in control you are of who you are, but I will be here for you regardless. They kind of have a moment together in the midst of all that. Uh, a little warmth and feeling between the two of them, and it's nice. It's kind of touching. Okay, point nine. Red Cap makes another play on Harry, but this one's a little more insidious. Sarissa shows up as a messenger from Red Cap with hair, cuttings of hair from four different people. And what it, it shows is that Red Cap has been following Harry as he's gone around visiting and talking to different people. So the various places he's been, Red Cap has kidnapped people, people important to Harry. These hair samples are from Mac from the bar, Butters, Andy, and Justine, Thomas's girlfriend. And basically the, the hair is proof of life. I don't know, you know, I really have them. You want them? Come get them. Okay, this is a trap. This is obviously a trap. But Harry's gonna have to go help his friends. In springing the trap to rescue them, Harry is hit by Redcap uh, with a Hawthorne dart. Now, we learn about Hawthorne. It's something actually uh, poisonous to vampires. Well, he's not a vampire. But it doesn't like Fae either. And Harry has this mantle of the winter night in him now. So it's interacting and basically, this dart wound won't stop bleeding. It's not going to kill him, but it's also not closing up. He he heals really fast right now with the winter mantle upon him, and it's not stopping the dart wound. So that's a little problematic. A nagging, bleeding injury that he's dealing with now. The place that this kind of battle takes place, and, and Red Cap and his people are run off, where he's found his people now is a warehouse out on Lake Michigan. And he's in there. And he, he's got them, okay, he's rescued them, but he's like, okay, in a way, this was too easy. Something's wrong. And sure enough, something's wrong. The pilings underneath the warehouse, because it's actually over the lake, they explode. There were demolition charges set, and the trap is sprung, and the whole warehouse plunges down into the waters of Lake Michigan. Everybody could drown. Well... Harry, this is one of those moments, he figures out, wait a second, I have powers, and he uses the power of the winter night to actually create ice that they can float on instead of all drowning. There's more to it than that, but the point is he is able to figure this out and use his power in a way to help. All right, point 10. Harry figures out something bad is going to go down on Demon Reach. That's regardless who's involved or who's doing what, it's all kind of pointing. These two issues are coming together to a head. So whatever I'm going to do on Halloween now to stop the Winter Lady or to deal with Queen Mab, it's going to happen on Demon Reach. So he gets his team together and we're going to get out to Demon Reach. So, I mean, it's the usuals. It includes, you know, uh, people who had been kidnapped, Murphy... Even Sarissa is still around now, okay? He's pulling together the team, and he's going to get out there when another issue shows up, because we can't let anything be easy for Harry. The wild hunt has been set free, and the target is Harry Dresden. Ah, crap. Now, we've read about the, the wild hunt before. We've had experience with them. The Earl King is the one that leads the hunt, and what they hunt dies. That's really how it goes. You, you can't run away. You can't hide. It's going to get you. This supernatural hunt and they're bad they're strong they're unstoppable so murphy shows up on her motorcycle murphy's got a motorcycle has harry get on the motorcycle they send everybody else off and the two of them are going to deal with the hunt harry realizes as you know he's thinking of options of how to out trick the wild hunt how to maybe get away from the hunt 
that Redcap has screwed him with this Hawthorne dart because he's bleeding. That's a scent. That's trail. Wizards can be always tracked by blood. So no matter what he does, because he's dripping, <laughs> they will definitely be able to find him. There's no getting away from the wild hunt. He's going to have to figure out how to stop the wild hunt, which should be pretty much impossible. And it leads to this awesome scene out on the docks along Lake Michigan. Murphy is, is riding like a hellcat on the motorcycle. Harry has a shotgun and he's shooting back, distracting the wild hunt and, and magic is involved. And long story short, they do the impossible. They actually manage to take out both the Earl King and Kringle who is there on the hunt this time, all in the focus of the hunt. It's not like he hates Harry. It's just, this is the hunt. This is what we do. You're the target. He takes out the two big bads of the hunt, and that gives Harry control of the hunt. Now, he didn't kill them. He stopped them. He took them down. He overcame them. So they're still part of the hunt, but now they're looking to Harry. You have the lead. What are we hunting? Cool. All right. He's got people we can hunt. We're going to go hunt, hunt outsiders because he's determined and sensed, you know, the outsiders are the ones behind what's happening here. No matter what's actually going on at Demon Reach, it's nemesis. This contagion is outsiders are involved. So you're going to hunt outsiders. And he sets them loose. Uh, he, he participates for a little bit at first, but then he turns it over and says, just ride on and have happy hunting, which is great. And there's a bit of time where they do find some outsiders and it's pretty quick and messy and they, the outsiders don't have a chance against the wild hunt. Others of the outsiders flee and the wild hunt continues to go after them. So basically the outsiders have been removed from the situation now. Harry and his peeps get to Demon Reach. But they still have to deal with who are they going to find there? What's going on? Well, who they find are Lily and Maeve, the summer and winter lady. The two of them have joined forces to try to take control of and perhaps overcome the genius loci of Demon Reach. Why? We still don't know what their game is, what their plan is, but they are the ones trying to break down the prison. Harry's got to stop this. Uh, his first obstacle in trying to stop it is Fix. Now, uh, going all the way back to Summer Night, again, Fix is Lily's friend. Fix became the Summer Night after the previous Summer Night had been killed and Lily became the new Summer Lady when Aurora, Aurora was killed. Okay, so he became her Summer Night. So, of course, he's going to defend Lily. Doesn't matter whether he agrees with Lily. He has to do his job. So Harry has an interaction with him. He ends up overcoming Fix. But then Lily comes at him because, hey, you messed with my summer night. So now he's got to deal with Lily. All told, there's a lot to this. I'm not going to go deep into all of it. I'll just point out that it all ends up going really badly. Okay. Harry does go through Fix, does manage to deal with Lily, but... In the end, he ends up having to surrender. He's lost some of the people that were with him. And if he doesn't want them just killed outright by Maeve, he has to give up. So that's point 11. Moves us to point 12. They're all under Maeve's control. We come to find out Lily is working with Maeve, but she's really just doing whatever Maeve says. Maeve's the one in charge. And she's loving it. This is her night. She even takes some time to gloat. So... What we see here at this final critical time, Thomas, he's tied up, he's unconscious, he's, he's been taken out of the fight. Karen Murphy, she's tied up, trust, she's awake, but powerless. Uh, Maeve has a little fun with that and gives Murphy an extra kick just for the fun of it. Yeah. Even Mouse, they brought Mouse as part of the posse, you know, his big temple dog who has his own magical abilities. Yeah, poor Mouse is hogtied, basically with Harry at the end was still Mac. So Mac is one of the ones that has surrendered and Maeve gut shoots him just because she can. It's not a good moment. Harry has Sarissa with him. And as they're all surrendered and under Maeve's power, she starts doing the evil monologue thing, which is, you know, what evil people do. 
And she reveals at this moment something big about Sarissa. She's not just a human who is working in the Winter Court. She's, she is Maeve's sister. In fact, they're twins. The key difference between the two is Maeve had accepted a role as the Winter Lady, and Sarissa never designated. So this goes all the way back, all the way back to Summer Night, when there are people who are born who are the product of a fae and a human, then they're half and half and they have a choice. Eventually they choose to become fae or choose to be fully human. Until they choose, they kind of live an in-between life. And Maeve had chosen and is fully fae as the Winter Lady. Sarissa never chose. She's been going on doing things in the human world, but also having a foot in the fairy court. And Maeve looks very derisively down at Sarissa for never having chosen, but also uh, somewhat envious of her because she still has the affections of Queen Mab as a daughter. Through all of this evil monologuing and the things she's talking about, the way she's talking, Harry has what he needs to fully understand what's gone on here. Maeve is the one under the control of Nemesis. It's, it's just crystal clear to him, finally. This is the problem. This is the one we have to stop. And since he's discerned what has to be done, but he's also powerless at this point, he summons Queen Mab. Just like he did with Titania, I say her name three times. Poof, here she comes. Queen Mab, her arrival is where we hit point 13. Again, this could be 14 points, so we're almost at the end. Point 13 is our final confrontation. Mab arrives. Now, before she actually steps out of her portal onto the island, she asks permission from Harry because it's his island. You know, he's the warden of Demon Reach. There's something special there. And of course, he says, yes, please come. I summoned you. Come. Mab is here now to deal with Maeve personally. Maeve figured Mab would do this eventually, and she's been prepping for it because she feels Mab wants her out of the picture. Mab's like, yes, of course. You have to be held accountable because you have a job as Winter Lady and you haven't been doing it. You've been doing your own things, all sorts of awful things, and not doing your own responsibilities. And you get the picture here. Actually, it hasn't been really that bad that she's done awful things. Is that she has certain specific things she is responsible for as the Winter Lady that she has been neglecting. We don't get to hear all of what those things are. Keep reading. You'll learn. But we don't know at this point yet. But it's a problem that she has been neglecting those responsibilities. She has to be brought to account. So Mab was certainly going to do that. And Maeve, her suspicion is, you were planning to replace me with my sister, Sarissa. Which is actually the plan. <laughs> when Harry kills Maeve, it's Mab's intention that her sister, Sarissa, will absorb the Winter Mantle, will become the new Winter Lady. So Maeve screws with the plan. Right here in front of everybody then, before anyone can stop her, she pulls a gun and shoots Lily. You know, the Summer Lady right next to her who's been helping to do the magic. There's actually a magic circle they've been within as they've been trying to take over the genius Loki. She shoots her right through the temple. Lily crumples dead, and the Summer Mantle... The mantle of the Summer Lady flows to the nearest available vessel, Sarissa. Boom! Sarissa has just become the Summer Lady. Maeve smiles evilly. I have foiled your plans. You can't kill me now because Sarissa won't be able to accept the mantle. She's already the Summer Lady. Ha 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 ha. Mab just looking at her in, in sadness and resignation. Basically saying, you don't know what you've done. Maeve thinks she's won. There's good reason to think she has won. And yet Harry realizes what's about to happen. Just before it does happen, he's like, no! Okay, I said Harry brought his posse with him. And things had gone bad, and some of them were captured, and some surrendered. You might have caught there's a name I haven't mentioned. Molly. Molly is not tied up on the ground. Molly was not surrendering with Harry. Molly is still on the prowl. What is Molly famous for? Her veil. She's somewhere nearby, invisible, waiting for the moment to strike, to make the key difference. Mab knows it. 
Maeve still has the gun. Now she's going to take out the Winter Knight. And she points right at Harry. That's the trigger moment for Mab. <laughs> Pun trigger. She uses her powers to untie Murphy. To snap the, the bindings crumple. Murphy sees Harry about to be killed. So of course pulls her gun and shoots Maeve. Maeve did shoot, but she misses Harry. Just kind of grazes right past his head. But Maeve is dead. Where's that mantle go? Right into Molly. Why Molly? Molly is standing right behind Harry, invisible. Near enough that she's the one that absorbs that power. And Harry's like, of course it went to Molly. She has spent months specifically training with Lianenshi, you know, the fairy godmother. She's been spending a lot of time with the forces of the Fae because of that. Also, she's living in an apartment that is run by Fae. The Svart Elves. I didn't talk about them. That's another extraneous piece of the story that, that does add interesting elements. But so she's been interacting a lot with the forces of fairy. She's a natural fit for this now. She's also a very powerful wizard of her own. Bam. Molly has just become the new winter lady. That's point 13. That brings us to the final point of the book. Point 14. The final explanation of what the heck all of this was about. How did this happen? <sighs> and we learn about the Athame. Now, I've not listened to the audiobook, so I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. To me, it looks like Athame. A dagger, and which is a special object of power, comparable to the Swords of the Cross. This Athame is at the root of what went wrong here. Uh, historically, the understanding is this weapon was even originally used by Morgan Le Fay, the original Merlin's magical rival way back at the time of Camelot and all. This weapon has been around the books for a while, and we didn't know it, we didn't see it, and yet there have been hints of it and impacts of it all the way through, and this book reveals what all those were. The first sighting of the Athame was in book three, Grave Peril. When the Lianenshi is given a gift at Bianca's party, the Red Court Vampire Party, she was given this case, and inside the case was the Athame, the special weapon. It was a great gift. It wasn't made by the vampires, they just had it, and they gave it to Bianca. Well, it was tainted with the contagion. Through that weapon, Nemesis got into Leah. And she started to go corrupt. But Queen Mab caught it. She recognized what was happening to her, what had been done to her. And so she helped Leah by encasing her, trapping her in ice. And we saw that in Proven Guilty when Harry and his crew went and did that attack on Arctis Tor. And we saw Leah encased in ice. And, you know, let me out. And then, no, don't let me out. You know, that weirdness in her... It was because of the contagion in her. And that was Queen Mab actually helping her get rid of the contagion. Unfortunately, before Queen Mab had caught it in Leah, she had already infected Maeve. Mab realized Maeve was infected then and offered to help Maeve as she was helping Leah. Maeve declined. I'm fine. I don't need your help. Don't touch me. Here we see the end result. Maeve is dead. The contagion went so far, it had twisted her so much that she was neglecting all her duties. She was suspicious of Mab's intentions and even was willing to unleash chaos upon the world to beat Queen Mab. We get one other little explanation here. There was that bit in time where Queen Mab wasn't talking, okay, where when she was speaking, it was always through a mock that was with her, Grey Malkin. That was because she was so angry at what Nemesis had done that her anger was coming out magically through her words. If she spoke, it was giving people aneurysms. Blood was coming out of their ears. It was destroying those around her. So she couldn't talk until she calmed down, got that under control. Okay, so it was good to have that explanation. But that's it. The book ends. Uh, some final thoughts as it wrapped up. Things we've learned here. One, Harry picked up in this book, specifically from Odin, that being the winter night does not necessarily mean forever. 
he may be able to let this mantle down at some point. We don't have any wise hows details yet, just that it is possible. And that's first we'd learned of that, first Harry knew he might be able to let this go someday. Second, despite how the mantle has changed him, Harry learns that Karen Murphy will always have his back. Their relationship may be different, but the friendship is not gone. She is there for him. That's meaningful. That is really deep. We learn that Queen Mab was once human. I don't think we'd heard that before. I think this is the story where that becomes real. If we'd learned that before, let me know. Yeah, send it in, in responses, tweets, whatever. This is just going from memory, though. I think it's in this book where this is made clear. But most significantly, now that Harry is her winter knight, we're getting to see aspects of that in her personality. We learn that deep down, she still has feelings, human emotions. They're buried under all of her winter power, but they are still there. They do still impact the decisions she makes. And that's a fun aspect of Harry as the Winter Knight, that we're going to get to see a different, a much deeper perspective on the Queen of Winter. Though Harry is clearly still troubled at being Winter Knight, trying to figure out how it works, and he's made it real clear he's not going to be her pawn, Mab's pawn. He's going to be his Winter Knight. And through this book, he demonstrated that. We learn here that Mab, you know, she still wishes he'd just do what she says, but she's not displeased. She declares here that finally she has a winter night worth the trouble. So this might work out, this Mab Harry thing. It might work out. There's hope. Uh, the final thing I'll point out again is just something I already said a little bit ago. Harry is identified in this book once again as Starborn. We learned that that gives him some special powers over the outsiders. It's clear there's more to come here. This has to be tied to the greater meta-narrative of the Dresden Files. So keep on reading, and let's find out what's going to happen there. That's what I'm eager for. All right, that finishes Book 14, Cold Days. I really enjoyed this story. Uh, again, there were times it had me bust out laughing. I mean, come on, vajazzled. Oh, my goodness. Um, but that was just one of many things. And yet, this is also a book that had perhaps more action than we've seen in a little while. There's a lot of fighting, a lot of battle. The stakes get higher and higher. I look forward to the next book, which I'll review a few episodes off. So keep up your reading. Come look for the next one. And as I'm recording this one, we only have 17 books. So three left to go. And it's still going to be a year or two before we get our next book. All right, that's where I'll leave you. Let me run the outro here, which uh, just again, as always, reminds you how you can get a hold of us. Thank you for watching. Remind you, like and subscribe. We rely on the recommendations of people who've seen our content to help others find our content. We'd love to have you, again, connect with us on Discord. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the various places we hang out, and we value your support on Patreon. Thank you so much for being with us today. With us, it's just me. But we had an Emily sighting. There was us. All right, we'll talk to you next time.